welcome back, classmates. We have another great episode. You came to the land to have some more unfiltered conversations in the world of No Class Podcasts. And as usual, it's your boy, Anthony J, and your co-host. Hey, y'all. I'm Chantel. Welcome back to No Class Podcast. Yes, yes. We got some dope guests for you today. Um, y'all want to introduce yourselves right now. Hey, y'all. It's Jasmine uh forever uh senior right is that what they call people when they come back and back and back and never graduate <laughs> so it's jasmine i'm happy to be back and and chat with y'all and, and get into this episode um jasmine jaybird so who else here uh it's your boy lolu aka kd aka kd from cop and aka k2 degrees aka the yeti aka dj yeti the war machine AKA I'm Mr. Stare Your Girl, but I'm married with a kid now. AKA it's still a pandemic, so I don't know why y'all keep going outside and don't look at me crazy when you see me outside because I'm vaccinated, you bitch. In the building, how y'all doing today? I guess I'm gonna send you too, since I keep coming back, right? I love all the AKAs, I love it. Kevin, you just had to be you, didn't you? <laughs> well, isn't that why y'all invited me back? Not with all them AKAs though. Like I get it, but not really. <laughs> I support the AKAs. I support the AKAs. That was about to be the whole episode. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what you get. <laughs> You're not about to spend the hour talking about how I got all my nicknames. <laughs> no, we're not. What we will be spending an hour on is something that um all of us can relate to on this show. And a lot of our classmates. So I decided that um, we were going to spend a an entire hour discussing adulting and what we have learned um, in adulting to better improve our adulting. So it has just been a doozy. Like, you know, our podcast is based on unfiltered conversations about everything we didn't learn in school. And most of the most of what we deal with, um, we didn't learn in school in adulting. So we have to kind of join our forces and our brain powers together to make sure we can be successful in it. it. It gets a little complicated. It gets a little ugly, but it can be fun. It could be humorous at the same time. And I would like us to discuss different topics. Um, but it was a couple jokes that were made about adulting. And I was like, oh, them things is kind of real. Like I saw a couple jokes on Twitter. One was like, adulting is like having your favorite burner on a stove. And I, I know my power burner easily like when a bitch burner is being used by somebody else I'm offended right now um and then there was another one um that I saw and it was just like adulting is what is it like um what did it say it's like adulting is figuring out how to cancel plans or some shit like that so I want to know what y'all perspective is on adulting so Anthony J can you introduce us to our first topic that we'll be discussing and then everybody can have like a little round table discussion about what you, what your, I guess, top advice would be to someone who is just getting into an adulting space, like recognizing I am an adult. I am also, I'm legal, but I'm also going to be in the mental space to be taking on this adulting chore. So Anthony J, take it away. So I remember when I was young, the thing to aspire to be was to be a manager or be a boss that this is my main one it was like you're supposed to be some type of boss making things working making like sure you got the big bucks you hire you fire people that's just a scam y'all 
a scam. And so um, most of my career, I would have had jobs where I pretty much just worked by myself and there's somebody that I like, I kind of report to. And then at my current place, um, I kind of fell into like being a manager and have been for the past, what is it like three years? It's not what it's all cracked up to be at all. Like dealing with personnel issues. Nobody told me about this part of it. Nobody told you about the, hey, when stuff isn't working or something's broken, there's nobody else that you can call. You are the person to call. Nobody told me about that part. And I do it for a nonprofit, so I'm not even making the big bucks like that. It's a scam, y'all. It's a scam. Um, and then I'll say in particular what's been hard for me, which nobody definitely told me about. Um, in the past year, in the pandemic, we've had um, two people that were on staff that passed away. And so nobody has ever told me, like, what happens when, like, one of your employees, you know, dies? Like, what do you do then? Um, so this has been this year. And just when I thought it was like, oh, okay, I know all the hills and the trenches of being a manager this year has definitely been like, oh, nobody told me about this and I'm just figuring this out on my own. Um, thank God, I love the organization that I work for. Otherwise I would have been like, y'all can have this, like this is for the birds. Uh, what about y'all? So I I find it interesting that you're, you are saying like, okay, this is the goal. Like people's goals are to aspire, like that's the soci socially accepted goal of being a boss, being a manager, having this very distinct um, position over top of a, a, a company or what, what have you. And you're just like, hell no, this is some bullshit. Because I've learned that in adulting, like I've been with my company for going on seven years and I've even applied to, I've, I've gotten a degree and I've applied to be in a managerial position. And I see what these people are going through in these positions. Like what you're saying, I, I see that from a person who is not a, you know, in a managerial or supervisorial position. And I'm just like, yeah, why would I want that? Like the whole, my whole <laughs> reason for even applying and trying to interview for that job was for more money. It wasn't to, like, so I wouldn't have even been prepared to be in that position necessarily. Like, and that's kind of why, um, like you, you see that kind of glass ceiling and you're like, okay, when you're going in job interviews, you're asking, so how can I move up in this country and this, that, and the third? And then like, people don't tell you the real when you're in them interviews and they're like, okay, yeah, we have these different positions going on, but sometimes they don't prepare you to, to give you the real deal. Like, yeah, you're going to have to babysit adults, period. Like you are going to have to, and I know, I was about to say, I know some of y'all see that, like y'all have y'all different experiences, but when you see your coworker who does not come to work all the time and you're like, they haven't been fired yet. Like, what is your manager doing to figure out how that workload gets tossed around if they do have a workload that is shared by everyone else in the company? Like what duties are the managers taking on to kind of help the company out or things like that? And so it's like, it can be, it, it sounds daunting to me. So I commend you for even, taking on that role and you're right when someone passes away like on your staff how do how do you all move on I've I've had people pass away on my staff and I told you I'm not in a managerial position but I've I've seen my my managers and supervisors handle it and I necessarily I didn't necessarily think that they handled it in the best ways that I would 
And then you kind of do this thing where like, I know in my company, like as um, coworkers, we get evaluated from our supervisors, but we don't have any space or room to give them evaluations. And I'm like, y'all, like some of y'all are not great leaders, not great managers, not great bosses. So it's like, how do you get feedback to improve on how we can be better, a better community of workers, you know? So I want to get your perspective on it, Kevin and Jasmine. So whoever wants to go first, please do. And you know what, Jasmine, if you can, I want you to speak on, um, because you've told me before about how y'all have like a mentorship type of deal going on with the company that you work for now. And I'm like, I'm very interested in knowing about that because that's not something that's always seen in different organizations. So please feel free, whoever wants to talk. Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and respond since you just brought up the mentorship program. So I've had, <clears throat> so I'm kind of like Anthony where my goal has always been to be in charge. Um, Chantel, you know me since I was a child. That's kind of like the role that I take. I always end up in a group, leading the group in some type of charge. I enjoy taking charge, um, not out of a boss perspective, as much as it's a perspective of I like to see things um manifest. So I like to see things start from an idea and then happen and execute. And then, um, you know, the bigger, the bigger project or the bigger result of a group coming together to create something. Um, so, and I'm, I'm a super collaborative person. So, and then I'm also assertive. Uh, so you typically need those type of people to be in leadership. But on top of that, I also like to help. And I also have always observed in my own, um, in my own experience that it's important as a boss or a leader to lead to serve. And um, I, I, I appreciate doing those things and I'm an oldest child. So like those skills come naturally to me. Um, throughout working, not even just my post-college career, even when I worked in retail, I was like a manager. So I've always rose in some aspect to a type of management, whether it was pseudo management or whether it was actual a managing role. I've always arose to that um, that that role. However, <laughs> um, the job that I was at previous to where I'm employed at now that didn't quite happen. So while I was in charge of an aspect that had me in a leadership role, um, I was not progressing. And that was like a hard reality for me because that has never happened wherever I have ever worked or been or contributed in, in some type of way. I always end up leading the pet and I was very, very used to that. And that just wasn't happening at my previous job. And um, you know, although I was leading projects, although I was getting things done, although I was like supporting the people in their leadership roles and, and, and a lot of the things that they were supposed to be doing, it just was not happening. And I was even going to leadership again because I'm an assertive person. And if I want something, you're going to know about it. And if you can't give it to me, that's fine. I'm going to leave. And um, after being there for five years and really loving the people that I worked with and really loving what I was doing, I had to look at myself and say, it's not so much about me being a boss as so as it is so much about achievement for me and seeing things come to fruition. And I wasn't in a position where I felt like that purpose for me when I'm working or um, contributing to any type of organization or, or group that I'm working in, that was not happening. And I had to get real with myself and say, that's probably not going to happen here. And although I'm comfortable and although I like what I do, I have to leave. And so I did. Um, because one thing about me is I will call your bluff. 
And so I left. And um, the the new company that I'm at, I will say they are much, much better about professional development. They're much better um, about um, pipelines to leadership and management. I've only been there for a year, but I'm, I'm very confident that I could be in a higher position or a more um, leadership type role in another year. And I don't foresee me ever being stagnant or stunted in that my aspirations to, again, I don't like saying boss because there's like sometimes negative connotations around that, but my, my, um, my propensity to lead, that is my skill set. That is like, that is one of the things that I like to do. That is one of the ways that I like to contribute to the groups that I'm a part of. And so, um, yes, the, the company that I'm with now, they are very, very good about mentorship and hiring within and um, taking those people with those type of skill sets and polishing them off so that they can place them in leadership roles, which is one of the reasons why, although it was a change of industry for me, and I wasn't totally like, I didn't expect to end up in the industry that I am now. It did allow for me to have that major part of what I need from a career or not even just a career as a, as a, as a adult, <laughs> as an adult in the ways in which I need to show up in the world. And um, so, yeah, they have a really good mentorship program. Um, they have formal mentorship programs that um, your supervisor has to meet with you uh, um, an hour a month to make sure that they're fulfilling the needs that you need or that they're helping you get to where you need to get to. You know, they're very big on, I mean, a lot of jobs have goals and objectives, but they're very big on keeping track of them and making sure that you're fulfilling them because they're very big on making sure that you and I think it, it goes to say, like, if you make sure your employees get what they need, then nine times 10, they're more productive, but they're very big on where do you see yourself in five years and how you can get, how can you get there and how can I help you get there? And I really appreciate that just because I am kind of like that forward thinking, where am I going type of person. Um, but yeah, I hope that answers your question and both questions actually. Um, so for me, just to, uh, I don't want to repeat anybody. But um, I think for our generation in particular, mind you, we're all in our 30s, right? Low 30s. I guess I'm close. I guess I might be the oldest in the room, funny enough. But anyway, um, just for us, we've lived through two, maybe three global crises, right? The recession, um, this current pandemic, and then whatever results of 9-11. Uh, and so... And then in, a, in that same time, we've dealt with like two booms, mostly in tech. And so the idea of success changed practically overnight for us. And we're like building this plane of what we call adulthood as we go along, because what we were taught was going to make us whole as adults just didn't come true. Nobody predicted the power of a computer being in your pocket. Nobody could have predicted the power of um, having access not just to local news and then national news from TV, but just hearing information in real time, 24-7, 24-7, you know, <clears throat> nonstop. So it's like, for us, it seems like, it feels like we're always in crisis. We're always racing against the clock and we're trying to now ground ourselves so that we don't feel so overwhelmed with what we have not accomplished, not understanding we do probably a lot more on a day-to-day -day than our parents could imagine um, in real life. And then um, for those of us that are socially, politically, fiscally aware, understanding that like 
the job market is definitely going to be different in the next five to 10 years. And we need to be preparing ourselves for that, right? So that's what adulthood is to me right now, just surviving crisis after crisis and reinventing yourself year after year to make sure that you aren't getting left behind um, so that you can put food on your table, bare minimum. Like that, that's what it is to me. I want you, Kevin, to talk about your experience um, about being an educator so far, because you've transitioned from going in a corporate space to now being an educator. So you're, you're, you have people that you answer to, but you also have students that you're managing. And some of these are young adults. And so um, a lot of people don't get, like there are people who come out and they go start teaching and then you're very unprepared for who you're handling as students and then you're handling parents and then you're talking to administrators and you have your superintendent, things like that. And so I wanna know what your transition has been like from the space that you were in prior and then how you're learning how to manage those different responsibilities about answering to people and um, managing students. Okay, so a um, little background, I spent about eight and a half years um, in, I, in, I, in, I, in the IT world, sorry, Most, mostly providing customer service. Um, I'm the, I used to be the guy that you call, you know, to help you with whatever issues that you were with, had dealing with. But I got to work special projects as well from time to time because I do have a college degree with the work experience. They trusted me, people trusted me a little more. I spent a lot of time leading teams. So I wasn't really doing the customer work as much. It's just managing the people that did the customer work. Um, and then, but I wanted to do different stuff and it just wasn't well, the opportunity I wasn't, um, opportunity I wanted wasn't at the job that I was at. Uh, and I wanted to get out like immediately, especially being in school at the time, getting that second degree, <clears throat> um, being drained at work just doesn't, provide for a healthy environment at home. It was weighing on everything. So um, I had a friend um, in education because I, I previously worked for city schools in the IT department. <laughs> he was like, yo, this is one opportunity. You can hop on it. So I jumped on. Now, he, I said that because I'm a vocational teacher, right? So I don't teach English, Spanish, well, English, a foreign language, social studies, mathematics. So I'm not beholden to um, preparing for a federal test, right? Like uh, we would call it MISPAP or High school assessments, that's what, high school assessments. So I don't have to prepare for those, right? Um, I'm a subject matter expert, only I know what I know. <clears throat> the other thing is, that's cool, is that they don't need my class to graduate per se. So it's optional. So I, for the most part, I got students that wanna do the work and wanna learn. They just um, really don't have any motivation to learn. No matter how much I show them my tennis shoe collection or my video game collection or um, <clears throat> explain to them that I just bought a house or show them my DJ equipment. You know, all of the cool stuff that they, you would think that they would be into that does not motivate them to do the work any harder. And so for me, teaching isn't the hard part, right? Dealing with the children, that's literally the easy part for me, especially high schoolers, because I can talk to them and I can meet them where they are. And we kind of speak the same language. They, of course, they got different slang than me because I'm an old head at this point. Didn't realize it until I started working with them, how old I actually am and how disconnected I was. Um, but the, the difficult part in teaching to me is the logistics, the calling parents, all of the paperwork that I'm doing right now, um, submitting grades in two, three, four different systems, 
it's 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 just it's that part that really weighs on educators and we haven't even gotten into the the prospect of special education and how important that is and, and the ways that you can get sued <laughs> for not dealing with your children that are um that have ieps and 504 plans so for me that's been the most stressful part is dealing with the paperwork and factoring this is my first year teaching because when I got my classroom, the pandemic started, right? <laughs> so I've been doing this pretty much on my own. Not that it's anybody's fault, right? Because we're all working from home. So I can't just walk into somebody's office, explain this to me, you know, and they all meet, we all meet every day, but it's just like, it's it's the paperwork on top of learning the job. This is the first time I had to learn a job in like 10 years, like literally, like my adult life, every job has been easy up to this point. And this job isn't hard. It's just keeping up with all that paperwork. I see why we get that two months off during the summertime because during the school year. And then I think the thing that makes it really depressing is that the parents aren't engaged in a way that you would want them to be engaged. So like, how do you manage all that? Like, how do you yeah. do that? So it's again, you don't need my class to graduate. So for me, I could just, whatever. My, pay, my bills are paid, right? I can't help your child anymore than you want to help your child anymore than he wants to help himself. I can't, I cannot put more into your child than I do myself. Like that's you just got to draw that line. You got to have a cutoff time, right? After eight o'clock, I refuse to answer anything school related, right? Especially, and the only reason I extended it to eight o'clock is because I'm at two different schools now. Um, I went from not teaching to teaching at two different schools. That's wild. Anyway, but those that the second school is credit recovery, mm -hmm. so all of them kids just is trying to graduate. So that's a little different, right? They they'll check in, you know, because they really want to just get their diploma and get out of there. Most of them are like 19, 20, right? They they're adults. You know, half, half of them got kids probably. Now, oh my God, that's another thing. Oh my goodness, Kevin, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you pointed out something really important too, is like the boundaries that you have for your own self um, in, in terms of managing different priorities when it comes to you you having a cutoff time at eight o'clock. Now, I don't know, Anthony J, if you can relate to any of this too, because you do have to deal with like real grown people <laughs> at this point. But um, I think that's an important aspect, like especially when I see a lot of my co like my friends, I'm just about to say coworkers, a lot of my different friends in different organizations and they are working like 24 hours a day, it seems like they're always on. And it's because maybe their boss is telling them, OK, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. So like, how do you have those boundaries, you know? Um, I know I don't work in those organizations because my boundaries are very clear with that. But Anthony J, like, do you have any sort of, um, I guess, cutoffs or different boundaries that you hold as a manager? And then I guess we can move on to the next subject. Yeah. So the, I'd say one of my advice things in this is I, I started and I was like, oh, now I'm responsible for it. Started with like two additional people now, and I was still trying to do like me, and then you have to switch and have the manager mindset and, and, and switch that. And so I was like, what kind of culture do I want here? And what kind of things do I want to change and do differently? And so you all know that like part of my work is teaching other organizations how to do, be more racially equitable. And that means changing and not doing white practices, like our what our usual and typical thing is. And so part of that is that we don't work ourselves to the bone. Like you need to take breaks. Part of what I do when I'm reviewing time sheets is like, hey, we had a busy month. I see you have calm time. It's time for you to take a break. I'm gonna need you to take a break. I see on all the projects that you're doing is this kind of work. People are required to still do like learning and research. Like that's supposed to be part of your job too. Like there's supposed to be balance there. And so, um, 
yeah, that's my thing. When something is an emergency, like, oh, something went wrong and somebody's paycheck isn't right, then yeah, I'll do it. But like when I'm on vacation, don't expect me to respond to stuff. I'm not doing it. On weekends, on text messages, I'll respond back on Monday. And so it's, for me, at least in our organization, it's creating the culture and modeling it. And hopefully people will respect those boundaries with each other. So it's not a like, hey, we're 24 seven, like I've been at some places and I expect you to answer your call 5 p.m. on a Saturday. It's like you you set those boundaries and set that culture. And that is, I would say, one good thing about being able to be a manager. So I'll pass it to you the next one, Chantel. Yes, thank you. So I wanted to um, have a discussion about being a parent now. Um, there are a couple people. So the, the great thing about our group right now is that we have parents in this group and then we have people who aren't parents. And so um, I wanna get the perspective from the parents um, what has been your lesson learned in terms of parenting or becoming a parent? Um, and then for those who aren't parents, I guess the discussion can be like, you know, do you want to have children? Is that something that you're going to be, you know, preparing for things like that? Um, so my parents, I want you to talk and, and explain like the transition, especially um, for my friend Jasmine. She was a parent very young. And so when a lot of us were out doing like teenage and young adult stuff, like she had a larger responsibility of taking care of another human. And now she's a, a woman who is older and has an older child. And, you know, I want to know what has changed in your parenting from you being a younger mother to who you are now as a mother. So please. Um, sure. So yeah, I was a teen mom. I had my son straight out of high school, literally um, a month after graduating high school. And then I was enrolled in college three months after. Well, I was already enrolled in college, but then I started college three months after having him. So I started college while my son was four months old. I had a newborn and I breastfed full time. So and I was a biology major for my first two years. So I was like pumping in between lab and um, have it. And I didn't have no any car. Um, and so my mom would like come get my milk and take it to like my daycare. Like, so basically I just say that to give you an idea of like, I was busy. <laughs> and, um, so my parents wouldn't let, so my parents, um, well, this, I guess this is kind of the segment that's coming up, but financially, I've always kind of been slightly responsible. I would say I gave myself a B, B on financially being responsible even when I was a child. So I always worked in high school because I liked money and I liked being able to pay my own bills because because I found when you paid your own bills, your parents said less. Um, so, I, so when I graduated high school, although prior to having a child, I had a good nest egg um, from money that my parents had saved for me and then also money I was contributing to that nest egg as well so my first year of college I, I did not work um, my parents wouldn't let me work and then by my second year I convinced them to let me work um, and money was running low so I needed to um, so I was a mom and I had to work and I was a, a, a child I mean and a student full-time so I was really really busy I was like spent my first five years of my son's life um, yeah, I, I couldn't do it's I feel bad because it's like one of the things you don't know what you're missing unless you do it. So what I'll say is the only thing now that I'm an older mom, I look back on like the things that I wasn't able to do. Like for instance, I was not able to um live on campus. Uh I, I don't regret that. 
Um, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I just don't, um, because I'm very particular in the way I live, which I learned as I got older, I'm very particular. So that probably wouldn't have worked out anyway. Um, no, I wasn't out every night, but I definitely did go out every now and then. Um, as a black student, I feel like many of us have to work and go to school. I don't know if you guys can attest to that. So um, I wasn't very, unlike um, my black peers, I did go to a PWI. So I was surrounded by a lot of white people. Um, and, you know, they could be up bright eyed and bushy tailed because they didn't have to work the night before. But most of my black friends who um, did attend that school as well were working as well. So I didn't feel outcasted in that arena. Um, what I will say is there were many times where I had to bring my child to class. And for the most part, I did go to a women's college. So they were actually really supportive, which is why I chose to go to that women's college, because they were, of course, um, very concerned with women's issues. So I think that helped me. And then also because it was a PWI, I was very small. Um, so many of my professors knew me and were very supportive. But I did have those professors who side-eyed me when it was like, yeah, I have an exam. But I have to bring my son, too. So it's funny enough, many of my classmates from college know, know my son very well. So yeah, that time in my life was, um, what I say, was Jeremiah's first five years was very, very stressful. Um, but looking back on it, I think it would have been a tiny bit less stressful going to college and being a single mother, but I think I still would have had to work. Um, and granted, I probably wouldn't have gone to the college I did go to, I probably would have went away, um, but I don't regret that either. Which is one thing I think you learn to kind of like, you learn as you get older, like the things that you would have regretted, you actually don't. Um, so yeah, my first year, my first five years of Jeremiah's, my son's life was very, very busy and very strained. And um, although like, I actually lived a pretty good life. Um, but I didn't, I don't, it was a flash. So that, that's the difference between now. Now I'm, I'm much more secure in my adulthood. Um, I'm much more secure in my motherhood. My son is turning 13 this year. We have a system that we've been doing for 13 years. You know, we, we were chill now and um, we didn't get that luxury when we were, you know, when he was his first five years of life and, and my first five years of being motherhood. So that's really the only difference is life is a little bit more chill, but I'm still busy because he's active in sports. He's active in mentorship programs. I'm active at work. Like, you know, I think I'm always going to be busy. I'm always going to be a busy person. But just to kind of piggyback on the conversation you were all were having about work and having to set boundaries. Yeah, that's one thing you have to do when you're a parent, too. You set you learn to set those boundaries, whether it's with um, being a parent, because I, um, one thing I always said prior to having a child and also when having a child is my child wasn't going to be my whole life. Um, I love my son to death. He's the greatest achievement of my life. However, he was not going to be my whole life. Motherhood was not going to be my only identity. My mother um, kind of took on that role. And I appreciate, appreciate her for that because um, when my parents divorced, when she was 11, she became a single mother. And I think if she did not make those sacrifices, my sister wouldn't have been able to graduate college and, and be now working in the hospital. I wouldn't have been able to graduate college and now be doing what I'm doing as a career. My brother, like she has raised, I think what you would call successful children and, and good people, which is, which is also an indication of whether or not you did good parenting. Um, but for sure, um, I don't regret anything. I'm chill now, which I love, but I have a 13 year old and I would love more children. And I think one of the things um, that I would love to do differently is to have that first five years of my 
next child's life if God is willing to be chill, right? So not to have to feel that I'm being spent, but feel like I get to savor the moments that I didn't necessarily get to savor with Jeremiah. Um, we juggle and I, I figured it out, but I didn't get to savor those moments and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think I really fought hard to maintain various different worlds that I had going on in his early part of life. So I fought very hard to maintain Jasmine and her identity and, and make sure I was still fulfilling my dreams um, as a, as a person, as an individual, but also fought hard to be a mom and, and was fighting hard to work and be, and be um, recognized professionally. Uh, but now I don't, that fight is gone, uh, which is, is a lovely feeling. Um, so my parenting feels slightly different because it's more like not coasting, um, not cruising, but it's just like enjoying. So I look forward to do that in the early part of like my next child's life. Um, if I had to give my advice to a younger person, of course, wait, um, wait to have a child just because, just so you don't have to fight. Um, and, and then it's kind of ironic cause I'm saying that. And then it's like, you know, I, I, I did, I, I don't have many friends with uh, children. So I also got to see what a parallel life looks like when you don't have a kids. And my friends also kind of fought too. So it's like my friends were traveling, but guess what? I was traveling too. So um, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's like, wait, because I think it's better to be a parent when you know who you are and you have time to kind of like set those boundaries and stuff like that. But uh, my advice to my younger self as a parent, my single, a teen mom, single parent would be, you you were going to get everything you wanted anyway which i i think i very much did but then also like um yeah being a parent is not the only thing that you are so even if you're like nervous to become a parent if you learn yourself and if you maintain who you are it also won't be the only thing you are but it will be a very 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 fulfilling experience of everything that you are and it will teach you a lot about who you are and um I hope that wasn't a convoluted way of saying it because I feel like I've been a parent for 13 years so I feel like such a veteran which is <laughs> which is a really funny thing to say about myself because I still feel like that 18 year old girl who just had a baby and was like starting as a freshman but yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild ride. Adulthood, adulthood is a wild ride and it's one of those things where um it's more or less about your mentality and not really about what's happening or, or, or who you identify uh, as or, or, or what's going on or what, what challenges are thrown at you or what positives. It's really how you look at the life that you are living and whether or not you're intentional about that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I feel like that was so convoluted. Anytime people ask me about parent, I just go on and on and on because it's, it's 13 years is a, is a long time to be one. You know, after 10 years, you become an expert or something. So, um, oh, that's the last thing I want to say. What the greatest lesson I've learned of parenthood is there is no perfect parent. I resented my parents so much for some of the things that they did and they were out of the world, perfect, great parents. But I still grew up and had chips on my shoulder until I became a parent. I realized like there is no perfect parent. The best parent is a good person who tries to raise other good human beings. So now a lot of the expectations I have for myself, I'm just like, are you raising a good human being? Are you being a good, good human being? Or is he seeing you be a good human being? So that you make sure that what you give to this world is a good human. Because that is one thing that I have definitely learned we need more of is good humans. All right, now I'm done, y'all. <laughs>
I try to be shorter, <laughs> largely because my child is on the way. So I don't have any stories to tell about being a parent directly, right? Um, I can say this. I'm, I'm a big brother of five, right? So I've got to see ages one through 26, five times, right? Just in my household, I'm also, I have five godchildren, the oldest being 12. So I have a, a very intimate relationship with all of my babies individually and as a group collectively. So, um, and then my village is just insanely large. And so there's a lot of nieces and nephews out there too. So I, I if you could, if there was a way to describe being prepared as a parent, I think it's me. And I think it's just a good time for me to be a parent because I now have a, a, a great health insurance system. And y'all know how crappy uh, healthcare is in this country in general. And just the mere fact that she's been to the doctor, I don't know how many times, and I haven't seen a bill come in the mail. It's like, yo, that, that is the blessing in itself, right? And so now that I, logistically speaking, being a parent, I don't have anything to worry about. We got more space. Um, you know, we financially secure for the most part by any dramatic changes. And so I get to prioritize relationships, right? And so I get to put the people in place um, closest to me that I think would benefit my child the most. And so that's what I've largely been doing. It's just prioritizing relationships. You, 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 you're important. I need you guys up to date all the time. The rest of y'all, you know, I love you to death, but if it, as it relates to this child, um, you know, you hear what you hear when you hear it, right? Um, and that, 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 that's it for me. It's just making sure that my child has the emotional support that I didn't have, well, I, I didn't think I had when I was, um, then I was coming up, right? Just making sure that if this child is extremely gifted and talented, I got somebody in place that can take advantage of those gifts and talents. If there's academic shortfall, I know doctors in pretty much every field, not like just people that work in the field, literal doctors, right? PhD, MD, EDs in every field now. So I can say, hey, Dr. So-and-so, my child is struggling in math. Can you get in there, right? You with the MBA, can you help my kid get better at something, right? So, you know, I'm just extremely blessed and lucky that I got to, and I'm 33, right? So I got to live all of my twenties, <laughs> all of them. So if there was an experience that I didn't have, it wasn't because I didn't, I couldn't do it. It was because, well, I didn't, it wasn't like a, a mental reason. It was just, I didn't have the money. And so I might be the only, you know, but I served in this country. I served this country too. So I got to travel. I have been to Vegas four times. I have been to Miami. I hadn't seen Atlanta, the best of Atlanta and the worst of Atlanta. So, it, you know, all of, <laughs> I'm good. Like all of those experiences, I just want to, I'm, 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 I'm comfortable settling and focusing squarely on making sure that the, the house that we have, I, we keep and my baby is good, you know? So yeah, that's where I'm at with it. What about you, Anthony J? Like any um, any stories or aspects of parenting that you want to share or you know talk about? You know, I've been a, a father for a good what is it four or five years now, doing what I got to do, being the best dad out here. Um, but um, I I think I'll talk on like unclehood. I think that. Um, so I have a nephew that is now 21 now. And so um, I know that earlier in unclehood, I felt like I had to be all the things. Like I felt like I had to fill in all the gaps that the parents also weren't doing. It's like, I'm gonna make sure that like I got you wherever. 
And I think that now that I have nieces and nephews that are younger, I'm like, oh, I want to do this differently. And I feel like what's important is they know what kind of uncle that I am. And like, these are the things y'all can call on me for or have conversations about. And it's like, I don't have to try to be all the things. And so it's like, like this summer, my sisters were like, oh, they want to do something for their birthday. But, you know, it's a pandemic. I'm like, we're going to have a water fight. Like, I want them to know I'm not uncle. We're going to go outside, have a water fight, run or whatever. And my, like, sisters were like, uh, nah, we're not doing that. It's like, cool. It's like, I want y'all to know that, like, I'm the uncle that you can do that with. So I think that's how it has changed for me and being able to see, like, you know, go into adulthood and have a different relationship with like one of my older nephews to be like, okay, this is how I'll do it differently with the younger ones. So that's my short thing that, and it's just trying to be the best dog dad that, you know, the world has ever seen. That's all. Cool. Well, for me, um, I'm also an aunt. Um, I became an aunt when I was 17 years old and I have grown with my nephews. Uh, My oldest nephew will be 14 this year. Um, and that has been such a whirlwind. I'm, I'm just like, I literally sit there and I'm like, I'm not your mama, but I can't believe you 14. Like, I can't believe you're a teenager. You're about to be in the ninth grade. You're going to high school, like you're transitioning into all these things. And so for me, um, my responsibility, and I like that you decided to bring up being an uncle, Anthony, because um, a lot of people, when I have my nephews with me, like they think that I'm their mother, you know? And I always get really, um, I don't wanna take credit away from their parents, but I do a lot for my nephews. Um, I'm a a great support to them, um, you know, when it comes to having fun and doing different things, like their parents do do those things too, but it's a different relationship with my nephews because um, I just, I don't, I relate to them in in a disciplinarian way when I need to, but it's less of that. Um, And it's more so of like, I can be the fun adult in their lives. And sometimes they don't even think I'm an adult. Like (laughs) I remember my youngest nephew, he, he looked at my license and he was like, Oh, you were born in such and such year. Yeah. You just got here. And I'm like, boy, you was born in 2009. Like, can you stop? You know? So it's really funny that they have that conversation with me but I also feel like because my um like their mothers have different children in their household too and so um when it comes to my nephews like I I want to be and I think I am like the the woman um role model in their lives of like going to college and traveling and um just doing all these different things like they know me as a creative they know me um as someone who does podcasts like I remember I was one of my nephews is upstairs now actually when I record I'm always like all right y'all y'all gotta be quiet like they know me for these creative spaces which isn't necessarily something that their parents always take part in um and so I I like that as my role too but also in thinking about in terms of having my own children like I'm I turned 31 this year and I've, I do want children and I've always wanted to have a certain thing set up in my life, um, like financially, um, education wise, like right now I'm back in school. I'm trying to obtain another master's degree. And I was just like, I can't think about parenthood when I have all this going on, which I 
completely love and appreciate the perspectives that Jasmine and Kevin offered because like with those with their stories um right here like you kind of get those two different worlds of like yeah we are living our lives and we're growing as adults and you know raising a child or becoming a parent it's like that's another that's another way that you realize how much you've grown as an adult too you know and so I don't I'm still kiddish in my mind like look they called me at a bar and they're like oh you look 16 and I'm like oh my god for real like the girl said that the other day and I was like girl what I'm like almost twice that age but thank you so much for thinking like I got that young fresh face out here but um I literally still feel like it and I'm not saying that when you become a parent you don't feel like that but like I literally forget how old I am until somebody knocks me down a couple pegs yeah I want to talk to that because that's what's been weird about having a was like I still feel like a kid too we be in here like joking off of each other just because it's like I still feel like a kid I still feel young at heart like I still look at him sometimes I'm like damn how the fuck did I do this (laughs) I'm sorry but that's what I think sometimes I'm like damn you still alive and it's like of course I know he's still alive because like I do what I'm supposed to do but the the realization is like, I'm still, I'm not still a kid because I'm very much an adult now. I very much feel more mature than I, you know, was 10 years ago, but it's still that feeling of like, wow, life and time fly so quickly that like, I have to sometimes remind myself like, yeah, girl, you turned 31 this year, which is not old, but we're not 20 no more. And I feel like, I feel like when you're in your 20s, you're still gonna be like, yeah, I'm a little spring chicken. And when you're in your 30s, it's like, all right, the spring chi- spring chickenness has worn off. So you're still young, but you know, you, you can't be out here just playing, playing. Now you can if you want to, that's your life. But, you know, there's a certain level of maturity that has to come with it. But even with me feeling like a super mature person, I still feel like a kid too. And you know, it's funny because now I can look back on my parents who were married and had three children by the time that they were 25 and be like, oh my goodness, you all were, <laughs> y'all were children. I couldn't, I mean, I had a, I had a child at 25, but I couldn't imagine having as much responsibility as they had at 25. So it really makes, it really puts age and perspective for you too. Um, when you, I guess, whether you're an aunt, uncle, or a parent, when you can look at things and be like, wow, you're 13. And I still can remember how I thought at 13, you know, um, which I don't know if it's because I'm a young parent, but I can still very much remember where I was at at 13. So sometimes I can relate to him on that level like yeah I remember how I thought at 13 although like there's still that 31 year old who needs to show up in that space too but then it's also like I'm still a kid at heart too so <clears throat> I think one thing you realize when you're a parent or whether or not when you're a, a village raiser let's just say that because at the end of the day that's what it's about you're raising a village right so um when you're a village raiser you, yeah you're still young at heart but you're also you also have a little bit of um what they call, it's like the saying about um, the baby's breath or something. I can't remember at this moment, but you know, you have a little bit of that worn off, but you are very much still a child. And I think that type of youthfulness is very important too in being a village raiser because sometimes when you try to detach yourself so much from that youthfulness, you can kind of um, have the mistake of um, not realizing that that child is a human 
And I try to very much like remember like, okay, my son is a human first um, so that I'm not always so authoritative or so much like not giving him space to be a human um, because it is very, very important for me that I foster his human experience more than I foster like, you're my son and you have to be this way. Like, no, I want to make sure you're you're having your full human experience because that is one thing that I wish that my parents did a little bit more when I was younger. Um, granted, they were kind of, my mother's hands was tied because she, a, a divorce happened and I was the oldest. So I had to step up in ways where it, I, it there were uh, there were commands coming down to me and then commands I had to give down to people that I didn't, um, I had to fight even then to like have this full human experience. So one thing as a parent or a village raiser, cause I, I don't want to discount uncles and aunts, because I think you guys are very important. Um, but one thing as a village raiser is you have to remember, like, these are little humans. So if anything, you should be trying to foster their human experience in the, the most healthiest way possible. And I think if you can remember that, you can also be in touch with your own human experience. So whether that's you feeling youthful or still feeling like a kid yourself, I think that's something to very much be aware of and be attached with and also try to communicate that to them, because I think that will help them to set up for this ghetto adult in life that we're living now right <laughs> we all just adults with our um no little kids with in our parents shoes like walking around and doing these adult things when in reality we're like bro like i'm still i'm not young but i'm st i'm still figuring it out too so i think that's very important to stay attached to and to communicate to you know the little people just so that when they become us at 31 they're not sitting here like Ain't nobody tell me this was that ghetto, <laughs> you know, so. And, and I think that's, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Anthony. Jones. I just want to say really quick. I really like that what was brought up is the joy of parenthood too. Is And I think that's not talked about. Like I had joyful moments with my parents, but they did not talk about the, um, it wasn't explicit conversations about the joy of being a parent and, and that because you had the, like you are talking about and trying to make sure that you have money and you're like a single parent. And so I saw a lot of the hustle and the things that they were trying to do to make ends meet. And so there's a lot that like, when you talk about parenting, like the first thing that comes over my head is like all this responsibility and all this hard work and stuff. But I, I don't think there's enough conversation about like, here are the joys of parenting too and why it's good. And it's like, that still doesn't change my mind and make me want to be a parent. But like literally that's the first thing that like flushes my brain is like, oh gosh, all the pains and like all the trials of that that didn't even have to do necessarily with the relationship with the child and with the parent is just that it is hard, but there's also lots of like joyful spots in it. And I appreciate it y'all talking about that. So well, yeah. And I wanted to add on to what you're saying, actually, Anthony, because um I I've, you know, especially when Jasmine spoke again i realized that like yes i play you know like i i am playing that role when i was growing up and when i was parented as a child like there was a distinct like you are the child i am the parent type of um dynamic that always went on in my relationship and um my father was military like we were yes sir no sir yes ma'am no ma'am we still do that my father's not even you know physically here anymore and so we still do that so it's always been like um I always thought it was just like a very distinct like role of yes you are a parent now you got to be super serious about everything and you just can't da 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 and you know that was that was just the household I was raised in but I realized 
the way they did that because of the circumstances that they were dealing with in terms of trying to um, have their children educated and pay for them to do different things and stuff like that. And so, and me and my brother, like we're six years apart and he likes to consider himself a part of a different generation, but he not, he's also a millennial, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> the expense of the millennial uh, age range. But um we've we've essentially lived two different childhoods because he was the oldest um he had a lot of responsibility my my brother was a parent when my parents could not be parents because they were working you know and so I've had a different perspective in in terms of my rearing and so I want to make sure that my nephews and the children that I'm around even when I'm not you know related to them by blood like my friends children things like that like they have a person who understands the best of both worlds. Like Jasmine was saying, like, yes. Like, I remember what it, it was like for me being a 13 year old little girl going to like middle school and developing breasts and getting a period and shit, like, you know? So it's different things that I can relate to. So, I, you know, to wrap it up, like, I think um, we all had a really good discussion about parenting, like the way we were parented the way we parent, you know, Anthony J, you got a little, you got, you got a little baby dog. Well, I don't, I think she's an older girl now, but um, yeah. And I'm a plant parent. So I'm still sitting out here trying to water and give nutrients to my babies. Okay. But yeah, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to wrap that part up. I wanted to get into um, buying a home or being a homeowner, because I think that's another thing that's like super serious about adulting and that we don't know all the, the things about it. And we have two people who are homeowners, two people who are maybe future homeowners. I don't know, but we can all get into that discussion. So please, um, our more responsible <laughs> adults on this adulty ass show, please talk to us. Um, all right, so I just got my house, right? I closed on the 12th. Um, for people who are interested in buying a home, uh, your financial records are extremely important, right? Um, of course, you need to have enough income and then your credit has to look a certain way. And then you got to make sure that you file taxes for two or three years, right? That's the bare minimum. But there are so much, it's so much that goes into is the bank willing to take a risk versus if this is a good risk for you, right? Because it's an investment as well. So you got to make sure that in one way, shape or another, you get your money back. Um, and so it was a daunting to, and this, and this, and, and, and as far as home ownership goes or as far as home buying goes, it was easy for me. I'm a veteran. So I got the VA loan available to me, which means my, um, my home loan is 100% guaranteed, whereas though if it was like through a private bank, I might get 70% and then I got to come up with the other 30% in cash in order to buy the home. So that's things that you have to be aware of as well. But it was really daunting um, and just got to be prepared for it, right, <laughs> during this process. Having your income scrutinized, not necessarily how much money you're spending, but hey, yo, where you get this money from? Now, in the, especially for us as millennials, where we might be working full time, doing Uber and Lyft, and then we're selling T-shirts or coffee or glasses or something, right? Like, yo, where are you getting this money from? I've never, ever felt so crazy about having to explain why I have more than one stream of income. Yeah, they think you're <laughs> trapping out here with all your nicknames. Which I might be. However, 
<laughs> you know what these corporate you're a bank. You know what these corporations look like. You know what payroll looks like. You know what cash might be. <laughs> so you know they will scrutiny just be prepared for the, the level of scrutiny on your income. But then at the same time, understand that unless you're buying a house that was recently built or um 100 renovated before you um before you stepped in, that every single repair, every single appliance. Um, lawn maintenance, all of that is on you. And it comes at a cost, whether it be personal or financial. And so you just gotta be prepared, right? But I would much rather be doing this when my mortgage is less than half of the average rent in the state of Maryland, right? So I would much rather be doing this than paying rent to somebody. Because at some point I get that money back, whether I sell the house or rent it out. So that, you know, that's why I got into it. Other than the fact, I just want to be able to knock down the wall when I felt like it can do that where I, where I lived that before. Um, so um, I've been a homeowner now for, I think this is my second year in my home. Uh, <clears throat> so home ownership, ironically, not ironically, this is just, let me give y'all an idea of uh, 16 year old Jasmine. When I was 16, I had a list of things I wanted completed by a certain age. I was super goal oriented. And I have always been enamored with home ownership. My parents bought their home in a, a fairly good neighborhood when they were, if we moved in when I was 25, my father would have been 25, my mother was 23. So they were really young. Um, and at the t it was a good neighborhood. We lived down the street from a couple blocks down the street from the mayor. And so home ownership has always been something that has been like really important to me just because I see my parents do it. And, um, and the people in my family have always owned homes. And so even when I was a little girl, I just wanted to make sure that I had like a home um, just because I, I feel like that's a, that's a, a great one investment like Kevin speaking of, but also on top of that, it's great to know a base right? Base, like a home base has always been important to me. Um, so then, you know, I'm a mother. So on top of that, um, it's nice to have somewhere where I know my son knows where home is. I love that aspect. Now, when <clears throat> when I went to go buy a home, you know, I'm, I'm single. <laughs> so that means that all the, all, all that finance stuff is on me. All the home maintenance is on me. <laughs> um like Dusty's Child Independent Woman theme song playing in the background like I had to show up to those banks I had to organize all that stuff but again my personality lends to those type of things so it wasn't like a big it wasn't a big deal and like I hated it as much as it was enjoyable for me it kind of led me to where I'm at now in my industry because I was like oh you like this type of stuff but one thing that I think is very important on top of your financial records, on top of making sure you're prepared to be a homeowner, why do you want to be a homeowner? It's very, very important. For me, when I when I was getting ready to buy my home, I had to figure out why I wanted to be a homeowner. On top of being a home, like having a home base, I wanted to make sure that I had a good investment. So like Kevin said, I had to be like, do you want a home because you want somewhere to live forever? So do you want it to look this way? Do you want a home that's going to have a lot of equity? So you're willing to take this and you're going to look at the neighborhood. Like you have to really think about and strategize what is this home going to do for you and, and why? Because I think that is what gives you the motivation to show up to the banks and to put up with your realtors and put up with your loan officers and all these different various people. And because you're pretty much a project management of this project of buying a home, right? You're in charge of all of it and making sure everyone's doing their job and, um, 
<clears throat> my process was two years too. It was one year of me researching the hell out of buying a home because I wanted to make sure that because I knew I was going to be showing up as this young little 27 year old, 28 year old black girl. I didn't want nobody getting over me. I like to know my shit before I show up to anybody's office. I'm, I'm not going to know your job better than you, but I'm going to know enough of what you're doing so that you can't play me. And so um, I definitely have my father as well, who's always very good um, and spendthrift and very good with providing financial advice. But I made sure that I knew what I was talking about. So there was an instance where I had to fire a couple people because I knew that they were on their own agenda and not mine. And you worked for me in this instance. So <clears throat> it's very much a business move. Now, it doesn't have to be. It can be very like, well, it should be. But, you know, you can have your motivation behind it. Like, I want to live in this area and I want my house to look this way. But for me, it was like, all right, in five years, can I take this home and take out 50000 and, and start anew? Or, you know, is this home going to pay me back? And how much is this home going to pay me back in this neighborhood? Good. And, and there's a close to family because I have a son. So I want to make sure that my family can get to me. Like there's, there are very much many moving parts, but if you know why you're buying a home, those moving parts will fall into place because you make sure that the purchase of your home aligns with that. Why? And so what I can say is, um, I, no one <laughs> was buying a home. <laughs> I, I, I tend to do things by myself. So no one was having a kid. <laughs> no one was buying a home when I was buying a home. So um, I had to do a lot of those things by myself. But because I did all that groundwork, my younger sister, who's two years younger than me, came to me six months after I was closing and said, I want to buy a home. And she was in a home in, in six to eight months, right? That's what it's about. It's about that. So then on top of that, I got two friends who come to me and say, how did you do this? And now I'm giving them the tea and now they out buying the homes. And that, 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 oh, that's a big why for me. That makes me feel like, yes, this is what it's about. Um, so I think before buying a home, do everything that Kevin said, but also know your why so you don't get lost in it. So that when you start buying and the process starts moving, you're not like just doing things because people are pressuring you because that will happen. People will try to pressure you. People will have their own agendas. People out here trying to commission. Your family wants you to do this. You know, you got to make sure you know your why. And if you know your why, then everything will fall into place. That also goes for whether or not you should buy a home. Buying a home is not for everybody. And that is completely okay. You should not buy a home because people around you are buying homes. That is the worst decision ever. You need to know why you are buying this home. And I journal everything. So when I started my process, I wrote down why I was buying a home. Like I wrote it down. So every time, and I wrote down my wants and my needs and stuff like that. But every time I felt myself drifting off a little bit, I came back to that because I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing for myself and my son so that this plays out the way I see it playing out so <clears throat> I didn't get a fancy home but I like my home is I, I like it it's in good condition um my neighborhood is decent my neighbors are really good I'm I'm in a, a good um distance from my family so I like it so now I can be on Zillow right and I can say all right where do you see yourself in five to seven years right and I'm like oh well these houses around here selling for x amount of dollars so that means I know I got like 40,000 in equity so if I said today not today but if I said all right Jasmine two years you want to make that next business move as versus you know with real estate I know what I look like and it's because I started earlier than later um so yeah, I think you have to know your why. And if you know your why, then everything else should fall into place. Now don't just be like, I want to buy a home and you got shit credit 
and you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage and you out here um, trying to like live it up in Cabo and thousand dollar vacations and stuff and you ain't willing to make those sacrifices um, because I know when some of my friends come to me, the first thing I say to them is, okay, you have a budget and almost every one of my friends don't have a written down budget and I'm like, let's do this first. Let's get there first, because once you know what you're working with, you know what your life looks like financially. Now, granted, like Kevin was speaking about earlier, the world's crazy, right? So we don't know what things are going to look like in the future. But it's a good idea to know what does your financial profile look like? And as far as home ownership, how does this home fit into that? Um, so, yeah, two years home ownership. I got to cut my own grass. I pay for somebody to cut it though. Cause after that first year, I was like, nah, um, <laughs> but you know, my, my water heater broke in my first three months, thousand dollars. I, you know, like those are things that I got to take care of, but because purchasing that home, I got myself together financially. Those were some of the things that I was able to get ready and to do and be prepared to do. Although sometimes I'll be sitting around here like, this is so ghetto. And I might call my dad, like, dad, just come fix this for me, because this is ghetto, like, <laughs> this, this knob not working, <laughs> like, you know, but it's a process, I love it, I enjoy it, I'm glad I'm a homeowner, I wanted to be a homeowner since I was, like, probably 11, honestly, probably 11, and I, I enjoy it, um, you know, so that's my advice, I, I know um, the two of you don't yet own homes, are you all interested in being a homeowner or like what's some of the worries that you all have? You want to go first, Anthony? Okay, I'll go. Um, it hasn't been high on my list. Um, no, it hasn't been high on my list. It wasn't until I think it was last year when I started cleaning up my credit and then the person I was working with was like, are you thinking of buying a house? And I was like, no. And then she was like, you know that that something you can do, especially on the track that you're going on, it could happen, um, you know, if you're really diligent about stuff. And I was like, oh, um, but I, I like the question that Jasmine asked about like, why do you want to own a home? And I don't exactly have um, a good sturdy answer for that. And so that's why I'm still like, ah, I, I still don't know yet because there's these, this other part of my life where it's like, oh, I still have lots of like moving and bopping around that I want to figure out. I don't exactly have a place that's like, this is where I want to stay and be for a long period of time. And I know you don't necessarily have to be that. You can own a home and still do lots of traveling and be in multiple cities and 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 live in multiple um, cities and stuff. But I haven't wrapped my head around that piece. So that's where I am. It's like, oh, I know that it, it's a possibility, but I haven't put like these goals over here and home owning it doesn't quite fit into the puzzle yet, but it's an option. It's an option. So for me, I do plan on becoming a homeowner within the next um, five to six years. And I've, I've actually mapped it out. Yes, I have. Um, so as I told you before, I am pursuing another degree and um, this degree might take me out of state. So no, I won't be doing it within the next two to three years because I do have some planning and moving around to do. Um, I am interested in, in investing in real estate, not necessarily like I can live anywhere because I don't have a child. I am not married. Like I'm single. I can go and float and flit about like I have aspirations of moving to another state, whether it is in pursuit and of me getting my degree, the next de degree that I'm trying to obtain or 
if it's just me trying to move to another country. Like I've spoken to Jasmine about this um, and some of my other friends too. It's like, especially because what was going on and what is still going on with living in the United States. Like that is not necessarily something that I can see myself doing, like living here um, for the full duration of my life. Um, And so I plan to flip, flip and flop about just like Anthony was saying, but um, I do have aspirations of being a homeowner. Me and my mom talked about um, getting a home together. The home that I live in currently is with my mother. Um, and this has been my childhood home, actually. Um, and I decided to stay after my dad passed away because I didn't want to live by myself. I didn't have a, a reason to live by myself because I planned on obtaining this degree and paying for it as much out of pocket as I could. And um, my mother... I mean, I know she doesn't mind living alone, but if we can live together, especially as she's going into retirement, like I plan on leveraging my income um, on getting another home for us versus her using her income because she'll be retiring very soon by the time we want to buy a home. And I do not want her to pay any mortgage from her retirement income. Like she don't care, but I do. And I'm, I'm the one stamping my foot down on that one. So that's what I'm thinking about. But um, I do want to eventually own, but not right now, um, especially because like we do see a lot of headlines about interest rates being lowered and like, you know, mortgage forbearance and things like that due to this pandemic. Um, the financial aspect of honing, owning a home is like one of the hugest things that you can buy in your life, you know, in your lifetime. So it's a huge responsibility. In the next five years, I plan on, like, that is my goal, but I plan on doing some moving about as well. And I know I've, I've listened to, and I've watched videos on real estate because I'm interested in real estate investing. Like, these are the goals that I have lined up, get your master's and then get a a nice job and then start investing in real estate. Um, And those are, that's a part of the whole plan, you know, God willing. But um, I know based on what I've seen, what I've heard and what my friends have told me, like um, shit could just go left sometimes. So you have to be financially prepared. Like I want to, which this is kind of tipping into our next topic, which is finances, but the way I see things is I want to be in a financial space where my credit has always, it has always been really good, um, which I'm very excited about, but I don't use my, my credit for anything. I don't get any loans or anything except student loans and stuff like that right now. Um, if I need to, um, but as long as I keep that in, in great standing, as long as I have, money that I could put down towards a down payment, closing costs, like all the stuff that you don't hear about when you're buying a home. It's like, yes, you have to pay. If you're getting a FHA loan, you have to put down 3.5% to 5% sometimes. Um, And then 20% equity in the home or 30%, like what Kevin was saying too, like sometimes you, your mortgage, like the loan will, the bank will only loan you 30%. I mean, excuse me, 70% or 80%. And so it's like, you have to be prepared for those things. Like what Jasmine was talking about, having enough equity in your home in order to, like if you want to sell your home to go purchase another home that may be more money or to go purchase multiple homes, things like that. So um, you have to be solid in that. 
um, I don't know how much, how many of you on this podcast or who are listening have an emergency fund. Like if you lose your job, if anything happens to you, do you have at least six months worth of your mortgage um, expenses, things like that covered so that you don't have to panic like and, and go into like working a job that you will eventually hate you get what I'm saying so those are the things I think about but right now your girl got this master's degree on her mind and I might be in Texas I might be in Nevada I might be in Colorado I might be in New York who knows but until I get until I get that part of my goals together and accomplish that like I ain't doing nothing like rent all day or um couch sit I don't know what the hell <laughs> bum it out I don't know but um I'm, I'm not thinking about it I'm thinking about it but future me is is like more concerned with it than now me because I got other things on my list um Anthony J trying to move around and I might follow Anthony J shoot you don't know but um can I um can I ask a question to Kevin since we're both homeowners and he his situation would be different than mine because Kevin, you're married. And um I I'm all I was always interested in this because one thing it's funny I didn't think about prior to buying a home is that now that I own a home, um I wonder how dating looks for me. Um, because I did not think about this because this would not be on my mind, but I think for men it's slightly different. But um I know for me, it's always, it always makes me feel good to have things so that if someone leaves income wise, I know that I can handle myself. But one thing I've heard from men is like when a woman has their own home, um, a man may not necessarily want to live with her because it's your home. And for me, my idea would be well, I wouldn't think of it as a home. I would just think of it as an asset. So if we're serious about our relationship, I'm just bringing a valuable asset to the relationship, which, so I'm not gonna be like, oh, you just live in my home. It would be more so like, oh, well, I got a home. What we wanna do with this asset? And so um, as a married man and as a man, um, I wonder how you perceive that as um, in relationship, home ownership in relationship and how that looks for you. Um, I don't know how your household is ran, but like, you know, what does that look for, like for you? So, okay, Ooh, we need context. Um, me and my wife, um, I'm not sure that she wants her name out there in the public, so I'll, I'll be mindful of that. Um, but me and my wife, we kind of grew up together in a sense. Like I've known her since she was 16. She turned 30 last year. So any idea that I had for myself, she probably got it first, second, or third. So she understood how I felt about home ownership 10 years ago. Like this, it, it, for me, it took too long to get to a place where I could buy a home, but I wasn't really pressed because like I understood like living in a junction with my mom, we've replaced them terracotta pipes, them terracotta pipes that break up um, <laughs> just because of rust. Right. And so our basement was flooded. So I've dealt with that. I've purchased appliances at home. So like from when I was 18, I was buying stoves, putting money in the refrigerators, you know, stuff like that. So like I had all the training in the world. So my mind has never really been in uh, getting an apartment and then getting get a house. Right. So for me and my wife, we grew into it together. Um, but let's say we separate. First, this asset technically belongs to me. She's on a deed, right? So if I were to leave this earth, 
the responsibility falls on her, but I took all the risk um, on purpose, on purpose, just so that we didn't get too much house, right? Because there's such a thing like when you combine incomes, that means you're eligible for more house. So no, only scrutinize my income just to make sure that we both can afford this home. So we got to make that business decision together. But if we were to separate, right, and I'm dating a homeowner, until we get married, that's your house. This is my house. I sleep wherever I sleep. I don't care. I don't care that much. I think that's more like the old heads thinking that they got to be the king of the castle type. Like, no, I understand that in my age group, black women make money in America. So I only date black women. I've only dated black women. So let me say that out loud. But um, <clears throat> black women make money in Maryland. Most of my single women friends, especially those with like one, two, three degrees, make more money than me um, in their respective professions. So it, I would be foolish to think that I could tell a woman, um, you got to get rid of this house because I'm in your life, or you got to come live with me because I'm in your life. Like, that's stupid. Um, and you, like you said, you got an asset. So now you get to make a business decision. Do we take the large lump sum um, from the sale or do we run it out and, um, and not pay taxes on it for a little while? It's your choice. I, 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 that is a that would be a blessing if both of us had an asset that we could play around with. It would be stressful, right? Because you got to pay taxes on both. You got to manage both homes to a degree. But man, that's that's a much better situation than I live in an apartment. You live in an apartment. Let's see if we want to consolidate ourselves in apartments and then share rent and then hate each other in six months because we weren't prepared for that move either, <laughs> right? Um, and then now I got to find a new apartment and I, I got comfortable paying just half and I got to pay everything again. Like that, that, that to me is a lot more riskier than I got a house, you got a house. Cause then if we separate, we still got a house, right? You can't just leave a house. You, you own that thing. Um, good, bad, and different for a while. The bank ain't just going to take it from you unless you're not paying them. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't worry about that. Most men of, of good sense would be like, Hey, this is exciting. Just don't date down. Because men who are not homeowners would not, we should be excluded from your dating pool because they don't understand the stress of home ownership. <laughs> that that would be, <laughs> that would be my only advice, right? Only date homeowners because if they're not owning homes or if they're not um, in real estate investment groups, then they have no clue as to the stress that goes into that. And then asking you to downsize would be even worse. I'm not the man for you. Sorry. You know, you just made my dating pool like 5%. That hey, because nine times out of ten, if you're not dating a homeowner, you're dating down anyway. That hey, that it, 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 I mean, think like the men that are not homeowners obviously have some financial struggle and some of some sort. No, or, that is not or, obvious, or they're not ready to settle, or they're not ready to settle because you buy a home, you buy it for 30 years. Yeah, they have they, they they flip it and flopping like me and Anthony about to do. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Does she want a man that's going to flip and flop as a homeowner? She's in Merlin. She's in Baltimore, Merlin. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I get what he's saying. At first, I was like, Ooh, I do too. But I, I get what too. he's saying. I'm he's saying, I don't, I don't want an unsettled man anyway, because obviously that's not my lifestyle. Now, granted, I'm I'm not opposed to moving to another uh, place or whatever. I, I In three years, I could be like, let's move. But I can't be like, tomorrow I'm moving. But mm -hmm. I get what you're saying now. That actually does make a lot of sense. But if it's with another human being, be married. Make sure that y'all make that business decision first because it gets messy if you don't. 
Yeah, you brought up a really good point, Kevin, too, especially because, um, you know, I'm not a homeowner. I told you all just what my plans were, but I do. I'm in real estate investment groups. I'm talking to people. Um, I'm networking with people. I listen to videos and watch things. So granted, I have a grain of salt on this because I ain't put no money down on nothing. But what I have understood and learned is that, like, yes, when it comes to um, marriage, like you will have to, like, there are times when people do combine their assets, like combine their finances, and then they get a home and then someone does leave. And you're like, damn, I can't afford this house by myself. And so I've seen a lot of people be like, okay, like, we'll get our homes. Like one of my friends, him and his wife are, are both doctors, they're in residency. They both own homes before they got married so that they can base it off of their incomes. And this is their incomes in residency. So this is not even their incomes as fully graduated doctors yet. You know, residency, you, you are not making as much um, as you could be as your, when you go into your full like doctorship, basically. I don't know if doctorship's the word. Anyway, but um, so there are certain things that like you could do, especially like for people that I've watched who are real estate investors um, and they are married, like sometimes the properties, like the credit is being ran underneath like the, the um, woman's credit, like the wife's credit or something like that. And then the deed is going on the wife's, but they are both contributing to that household. It's just, this is under the wife's name or this may be under the, the husband's name. It's just like, they're separate. They have separate assets, but they are married together, you know? So it's different tax implications of course um so it's just all different but I, I like that especially because Kevin you you made a really great point it's like you want to be able to have enough house um and to be able to afford it to be able to afford it like if y'all were to combine your finances that like what Jasmine was talking about too is like these some of these real estate, um, these real estate agents, these mortgage lenders, like they're specifically looking out for them and what they can get from it. Some of them, not all of them. So when you are in the process of buying a home, you have to say like, is this like, can I afford this much house? They're going to approve, like you can sit up there and they can approve you for a $500,000 loan for a home. What the hell you look like buying a $500,000 home for if you can only afford 250 you get what I'm saying and that that's something that they might just do you know so you have to be very cognizant and aware of how what the future looks like for you like are you going to be in this home for five years are you going to be here for 10 years like what does this neighborhood look like um are you like do you have a family do you want to be in a really good school district things like that so it's a lot that goes into it but I do want to segue into finances because I think this is a really good way to get into that. And this might be the last topic, depending on timing. But um, I want to talk to you all about, especially because we, we do have our homeowners in this space. You all talked about how your finances were scrutinized. What were some of the, the best things that you learned in adulthood um, in terms of managing your finances, being fiscally responsible, the mistakes you might have made, um, things like that? So whoever wants to talk first can do that. I'll go. Um, so <clears throat> I, I mentioned I have a budget. I have a written budget. Now people like Excel sheets and all stuff like that. But for me, when I write things down, anything that I write always sticks in my mind a little bit more. So I, I go old school when I write everything down. 
Um, but for me, writing down a budget and sticking to a budget has been extremely helpful, especially as a single income household and as a mother. And then also now as a homeowner, I know exactly where every dollar is going at all times. And um, when I started, I used to have it in my purse. So like, even if I spent like $5 at McDonald's, I wrote it down because when I first started, it allowed to allowed me to observe my spending habits. So of course you can do this digitally as well, but it allowed me to observe like what I was spending the money on and where my money was going each month and what needed to be edited and modified or what needs to be increased. So it helped me to learn my, um, my psychology financially, because I think that's important. You need to know your your psychology around, excuse me, your mentality and your psychology around how you spend your finances, right? It allowed me to see that. And then after, like, I I think I've been doing it for like four years now. After that now, it's just such uh, ingrained in me that I have become very frugal, but frugal in a way that is not like oppressive, just frugal in a way that I feel empowered. Um, and so I appreciate that like budgeting has really made me feel empowered with my finances. Now, granted, I had like a slip up last year because also generosity gets to me. So I was a little bit too generous last year with being a new homeowner. And I was so used to generosity in the past without homeownership that I was always used to like, oh, it'll be fine. Like, I always have this mindset, like, if this person needs it, then they need it more than me. But one thing you realize once you become a homeowner is it's not necessarily about selfishness, but it is about self-preservation. And um, I had to really learn that boundary with all parts of my life, especially financially, because I'm so used to like a family member needing maybe $20 and be like, oh yeah, sure, I got it, right? Because that's just the person I am. I, I believe that money is not something you hold on to. I believe money is something that, you know, if not spending it fervently, but if you are generous, it always comes back. And now, and that has always played out in my life. Like I'm always generous with money because it always comes back to me. I'm always generous for things because it always comes back to me, but really having to learn last year, like, okay, you are now a homeowner. So although you're used to being um, generous money-wise, if your heater um, breaks down next, next week or next, you know, next month, is there someone who's being equally as generous with you? And if you cannot say that, it's time for you to set up boundaries money-wise. So um, being that I had that instant, you know, a few incidents that happened last year with that, I really had to learn a new psychology around money. Like, okay, you can still be generous, but you make sure you're taken care of first. And then if you have it, you can give it. And just because you have it does not mean you always have to give it. So that's a new lesson I learned in money. I think that um, credit is very important. No one talks about this. I never had a lot of credit cards because um, I get weird about owing people money. It like creates anxiety for me. Like just knowing that I owe somebody money will literally keep me up at night. And that is not stress that I need, but making sure that your credit is good and straight because, you know, that will help for people or not people, but rather banks, you know, to take, um, take a, a, you know, take trust in you when it comes to buying a home or something like that, or a car, you know, you get better interest rates and and everything like that. I also think um, what I did mm, four years ago is I wrote down three words and they're like pretty much theme words for me. So um, what I, what what it really is, is I wrote down three things that ensure a high quality of life for me. So that I make sure that when I am spending money, that though the money that I'm investing in, if it's like a high purchase, or maybe if it's like a splurge, 
I know that it aligns with those three things that um, improve my quality of life. So it's not like I can be like, oh, I'm gonna buy these shoes because it's gonna make me happy. Like if I didn't write down that shoes makes me happy, then um, that's not necessarily something that I should be worried about spending money on unless, you know, I really save up for it, blah, blah, blah. So there's three things. Like I believe it's um, work, so career, travel, and home. So I allow myself to indulge a little bit. Of course, not um, in a way that is negative, but I allow myself to indulge um, on those three things because those are the three things that I set aside as things that make me happy. So if I'm spending large amounts of money, th- that's because those are the, the things that, you know, create happiness for me. So for instance, career would be like invest into a master's program or travel would be a trip or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, budgeting has made me feel very empowered about my finances, just especially as a, a single income household, because that's something you start to realize more too. Once you own a home is like, it does matter how many incomes are in the house as well. Um, so yeah, that has really, really helped me. It's just budgeting and making sure that I know how my dollars are working for me. Sorry about that. Um, so prior to stepping into the idea, keep in mind, hold on, let me take it. I always wanted to be a homeowner. Um, I found out we were having a child, uh, Labor Day weekend, um, Labor Day weekend, 2020. Uh, uh, so, you know, that kind of sort of made me want to be more aggressive about becoming a homeowner. So I hadn't really did a lot of planning to be a homeowner until I got that announcement. So just think, to go from, you know, living life, having fun to, yo, you got a baby on the way, you got to make some drastic changes. And so me knowing that I was a veteran, knowing, knowing it wasn't going to cost a lot to get the house in the first place, which it didn't, um, I started looking October 1 and we closed February 12th. Now, a lot of people cannot do that. Even if they have the house they want and the cash up front, that just doesn't happen. Um, so I'm extremely thankful in that regard. But throughout these, just these last five months, I realized uh, my credit is good, but I have a lot of credit card debt out there. Um, I'm not taking advantage of the secondhand income that I have access to, right, as a two-income household, and that has to change, right, because we could be working together a little better and then be more aggressive about not owing people because we do have um, some debt out there, particularly the thing that gets on my nerves the most is the car notes. Um, and then... Um, just understand that I actually have a lot more resource available than I thought I did. Uh, like parents are willing to help, especially when you're doing the right thing. Um, friends are willing to help, especially when you're doing the right thing. And so um, just uh, just taking advantage of those those resources has been big for me. And I'm proud of being a homeowner. Like I was always financially aware. Um, the thing that really I think bit us all the most is that life got more expensive as we got older, right? Like this is our second um, recession. And so we weren't making more money per se, but cost of living kept increasing. And so it's never getting in front of that um, until this year really has been like the biggest struggle for me. Um, and then, you know, yeah, that credit card debt. Fell in that trap early in college and, and, and never got out of it until last year. Um, so working on paying off the rest of that and then I can attack the rest of my debt um, more aggressively understanding that the home can be last because a it's the biggest loan and b it's an asset so i can always sell it and get my money back and then some so yeah that's that was the biggest financial lessons i've learned over the last few months in general
So for me, um, I had, I wrote down a few things actually. So when I started out um, being more responsible for my own my own financial uh, well being, this was when I was probably like fourteen or fifteen. Actually, um, I started working, and I was getting my own income. Now, teenage me even in college, like I'm out here doing my thing. Like when the, when the white on white air forces come out, your girl had them. And I don't even like those things anymore. But anyway, um, just be quiet. Kevin. <laughs> Cause you a sneakerhead anyway. Um, but um, just the transition that I've had, like, I feel like I've had three financial lives mostly because when I was a teenager, like my parents had money for me. They saved it for me. They put it in accounts. I had like one from my mother's jobs credit union. And then an, another one that my parents just um, slowly invested money into a savings account. When I became 18 and accessed that savings account, and I was thinking about it, I was like, damn, I blew all that money. But no, what I did was I was, that was my first year going to college. I worked three jobs that summer and use that money that I saved up to pay for my books and things like that. And so I was like, I literally thought I blew it and I was just like, damn, I don't got this money, you know, but no, like I really didn't. So I felt, I felt really good about that. But then when I was in college, yeah, your girl was out here shopping and dropping. Okay. Like I wanted to go to the bars. I was, you know, getting the drinks and then I was going to the clubs and getting the outfits, you know, and, um, all that I don't have like those are not investments to me like I don't have nothing to show for that I I purged all that years ago you know and so when I graduated from college like I was still in that little college mentality but I had to really think about adulthood and that was when like when throughout when I first got my car in high school like the last year of high school um I had worked these jobs guys and mostly that was to save money for my car my parents were like we're gonna put half down cool we go to the auction get the car boom cars paid straight out all like my father was paying for my insurance all I had to do was get gas and maintenance and the maintenance that I was doing was oil changes and stuff like nothing huge but the things that were huge they like were huge to me because like paying paying for like alternators and stuff like that like yo you really ain't making that money so I'm like okay so um those things happen. But when I graduated from college, my crazy self decided I want to start leasing a car. Look at that. You so smart because you got good credit because you got all this damn student loans and you just so precious. Just go ahead and lease your damn car. But you driving back and forth and putting miles on this car. You can only have a certain amount of miles on your car to lease and then you not have to owe no money back. You know, so I get rid of the lease. I trade it in. And guess what? I traded it in. They bought another new car. Who is dumb enough to do that? Me. So I'm dealing with that. Um, I And that's around the time where I'm like, start another another job. So I'm getting paid more. So lifestyle inflation comes into this, this part because I'm like, yeah, like I'm making more money. Yeah, I can afford this car note. But the car note is almost as much as I would pay for a rent. So I move back in with my parents. Because, yeah, girl, you stupid. Like, why is you out here spending rent money on a car? That's going to depreciate. And you won't get that money back. So also around that time, um, I was not, like, I, I was probably 
making like in a job like I was working two jobs one making like ten dollars an hour the other one making nine dollars an hour both were part-time um and I've never applied for food stamps or anything but I was living in an apartment on my in my on my own like with a roommate in Hyattsville and instead of me applying for food stamps and seeing what I could get you know to help feed myself while I was paying for this place the rent was pretty reasonable but not for the amount of money that I was making at these jobs. And I didn't realize that at the time. Um, but I got, I started racking up credit card debt then because I'm like, now I got to pay for food. Like I got to pay for gas. Like when my check doesn't cover it, like what the hell else I'm going to do? I have good credit. So yeah, let's do that. And so I racked up a bunch of credit card debt. But when I finally moved back to Baltimore, um, I'm like, Ooh, like now these student loans really about to hit, you know, now, like, this credit card bill really got to get paid and so I decided yeah we're gonna pay off our credit card we're gonna um get on income-based repayment plan for the student loans because that we can do especially because at that time I planned on going to school a couple of times and that was when I was entering my first master's degree program and got that so um that was a whirlwind and then um Gradu- like gradually over time, I started learning more about money and how to be financially responsible. I got into like the Dave Ramsey thing and he's just like, pay your debts off, rice and beans. And I'm just like, okay, yes, sir. You know, and like that made me aggressively be like, okay, I can do this. I can start paying off. And that actually helped me to pay off my credit cards debt. Like, and when you get credit cards offered to you as a, as a new adult, 18 years old like them interest rates is bananas like and they're variable so they're gonna go up every single time the bank be like mm, I'm feeling froggy today let's raise their interest rate so that's another thing that I was learning about but I have finally gotten rid of that now years later we're gonna skip to June 2022 the car that I bought I paid off so I'm debt-free in terms of car hallelujah but I choose to, oh yeah, I see some hallelujahs over there. Thank you, Avon. Um, <laughs> but the money that I was using to pay off my car, since I didn't have to do that for the rest of 2020, I decided to invest in myself and I paid for a personal trainer and nutritionist. So there have been like collectively things that I have learned and like gone through, but the ultimate lesson for me was creating a budget like Jasmine was talking about but not only do I have that budget I track everything every month I'm tracking everything and I have um I have multiple accounts like I have a Bank of America oh well I have multiple accounts with multiple banks I'll say that I have Bank of America and then I have like Capital One 360 and then I have Ally Bank and I do that because I also utilize sinking funds and that's my way of utilizing sinking funds. And what a sinking fund is it for those who don't know, it's like you, you pull up, like you gather up how much money it'll take you to pay off in a certain amount of time. Like if you have your car note and you're like, this is how much money it's going to take me to pay this car, like pay down this debt in a year, you save up that money, you put it all in one fund and then you slowly take that money out so that your money is covered on that. So I had to create my budget and dif- and discover what my sinking funds were for certain things. And I did it mostly for, um, I did it for school because now I'm taking classes and I'm paying for them out of pocket. So I have my class, I, like I know what 
how much money I need to pay for my classes. And then I put a little bit of extra in for my books and things like that. I have one for food. I know what my monthly food budget is, but sometimes it wavers depending on if I go out or, you know, go out to eat and replace certain meals or if, um, yeah, yeah, not sales. Cause I ain't watching those, but mostly my food budget stays the same. Um, and what else I have a sinking fund for? Oh, travel, because traveling is what I really like to do. All the things that I love to do, I put, or like, I feel like are extremely important to me. I put at the forefront and I create a sinking fund for those things. That's one of the things that I've, one of the lessons that I've learned that um, I've really grown into and become more comfortable with, because yes, you definitely have to budget. You got to know how your money is spent. And I think even Dave Ramsey says like um, every dollar has a name or something to it. And you got to understand that like people, you know, that's one of the things I wish we had learned in school how to budget because that is something that you will never escape. I don't care how, how you hate the word budget. Like if you do not put yourself on that type of plan to like, this is how much money I spend on things. And this is how much money, like I can, like I can take this away. I can cancel this subscription, put more money here, things like that. If you don't do that, this is when adulting is going to fail you 100%. Like a, like budget has to be a part of your vocabulary and it has to comfortably be a part of your vocabulary in my opinion. And, and I think once you start getting it together, you'll, I feel like you'll feel the same way, honestly, because it makes things a lot better. If you know where your money is going, you know what you're spending on and you're not being frivolous, like going to the 7-Eleven and buying like $30 worth of taquitos, you know? So, um, yeah, that's it. And I, now the only debt I have to worry about, because I do have credit cards, but I pay my credit cards down to zero every month, like I said in another episode. And I do that because I'm credit card hacking, like... I like these points because I know these banks is out here scrambling, trying to make, like they, they put all the fees on everything so they can make sure that they are staying afloat. But I know y'all getting money from other countries. So y'all going to be good. Like the, the government makes sure the banks is afloat. Okay. Cause that's how the United States financial system is run. So I know y'all straight out here, but what I don't do, and this is a rule of mine is I don't pay y'all no interest because you ain't about to get nothing from me. So I pay my credit cards down to zero every month. If I, and, and that's another thing that I create that sinking fund for too, is like, if I have this certain amount of money that I'm spending it on, um, I already know that that money is gone. Like, and I already put it in my sinking fund so that when my card bill comes, yeah, you got the money for it. So don't try to pretend and it don't have no interest on it either. So stop playing, you know? So um, that's another thing I do. But now the only debt that I have to worry about right now are my student loans. And those are being um, pushed to the side, especially because we're going we to figure out if somebody finna pay these down. Like Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, step up and let me know what's good with the student loans, okay? Because I will gladly take that damn money. Um, yeah, and that's it. Um, taxes and all that like I put money away for taxes too because I I always owe the state of Maryland the federal government always gives me back my money and I haven't calculated my 
tax bracket, which is another little thing. Like I, I'm, I'm not controlling over my finances, y'all. Like I calculate my tax bracket to the T so I can get certain amounts taken out. So I ain't got to owe nobody. Like give me that zero boo. So that let me know that I've been using my money this whole entire time that you've been thinking you're going to give me some back. So I always end up owing the state of Maryland um, and never owe the federal government. So I got to get better with that government bracket because shorty, you ain't about to keep taking mine. Okay. But yeah, that's what I do for my finances. Um, I hope it doesn't seem like a lot, but I told you I'm real controlling over my joint. So Anthony J, what you got? Wow. I don't have much to say after all y'all. Um, better. Y'all knew from the episode that we did, I think that was like last year that I was scared about diving into stuff about finances. Um, and I think it was two years ago when I got a, um, consultant um over my finances that was like oh it's not as bad as you think it is and so um yeah i'm getting past that fear recognizing that it's not that bad i have a new relationship with money with savings with credit with all that and i'm like oh i can i can do this i've been in um you know most of my adult life where i didn't have enough resources and then i think you start to have uh, a culture, a relationship with, with money that it's like, oh, I'm never going to have enough. So it doesn't matter what I spend. I'm already in the hole. Um, and again, that it, it wasn't super intentional getting myself out of the hole, but it's just like after time, I stopped making stupid mistakes. And then it was like, oh, it doesn't take as much to get myself out of the hole. And I don't want to go back there and I can actually fix it. So um, I'm good with where I, I am. I'm happy for the pandemic too that like that allowed me to really stack and be able to save and there were goals that I have for myself that I was like I don't know if that's ever obtainable and it's like oh actually they were because you weren't out at the bar drinking you weren't doing this and so it has helped and, and, and changed my mindset to be like these goals that you have they're doable if you're super disciplined and there's even times when they're not super tight and I don't have to be very disciplined but it's like I just can't be crazy and so um yeah, I think that I've been fair to myself and played with it for a little bit this year and um, well, last year and this year. And so, um, yeah, I feel like there's possibilities and options. I was always just like, I'm not a person that is good with a budget or good with savings. And it's like, no, it doesn't mean that you have to be as strict as the rice and beans situation. Because that wasn't me. My, my situation wasn't even that bad. But I was just like, oh, I guess it's got to be an all or nothing. I ain't about to be eating rice and beans and oodles and noodles again. I'm through with that shit, you know. Um, but it's like it, it doesn't have to be. So I'd say that in adulting, my advice would be kind of like the other things. What does your relationship need to be with money? Um, because what I was seeing for other people and I was like, oh, that works for you, but I can't do that. So I just wasn't doing anything. And so I'm like, oh, I found what I need to do, what's doable for me and, and how this can help me reach some of my goals. Because, um, like y'all were saying, like in, in having different times where you did really well, when I was, had my first job, saved money and I bought my first car out cash, it was $7,000. And so like part of that was also just like, oh, I had this really good time where I was able to save. And it's like, also, if I'm not doing that well, then I'm just also not going to try. And so there's a lot of thinking that I like I had to undo to, to get me where I am right now. It's like, oh, okay, okay, I'm cool. I'm happy. I'm going to do better. I'm going to keep on climbing. But that's where I'm at. I wanted to add too, because you kind of made me realize something. It's like a lot of people or not a lot of people, but there are people out there who will have that mentality of like, it's kind of hopeless 
to deal with your finances. And maybe that reason is because of some of the things we mentioned, like I talked about when I was younger and I could not afford the lifestyle I was living mostly because my jobs like now granted like I didn't have as much experience so I might have been paid appropriately but there are a lot of people who are just seriously underpaid seriously underpaid so you know even in us having this entire discussion like about job career things like that like there may be a time when you have to move on to another career or think like go back to school and get you know another degree that's going to allow you to make more money or something like that and I know for me like I wasn't and I didn't I wasn't fully transparent either because I want to say that towards the end of 2009 towards the summertime like August 2019 to January 2020 I got another job I was working two jobs a full-time job and a part-time job so that I could pay off my car loan so I wanted to add that in it's like you know there there are people who may have really negative feelings about financial responsibility and things like that but like Jasmine was talking about it is the psychology it is what you were taught it's what you know what you see around you there are people who are really forced to be in impoverished situations and you know they feel really really downtrodden about it but I hope that even this entire episode or even this part on finances it kind of gives you a window like you don't have to do everything that we all do but even if you do something to you know create a brighter spot in your in your life about how you handle your finances how you handle your finances like maybe that'll be encouragement enough for you to get to where you want to be financially so I just wanted to add that in I think that's one thing you kind of can take away from the episode as a whole. Adulting isn't about the things you do. It's about your mind, right? So, and of course that will play out in your actions, right? But, you know, we when we talk about money, we're all talking about our relationship with money or how we think about money and, and then how that plays out because our actions will follow suit. When um, Kevin and I talked about why we buy a home, you know, both of us talked about this idea that we had prior to even getting to the point where we started saving for a home, we're approaching to buying a home. When you all talked about your intention to flip flop and move around the world, like all of it is about a mindset and preparing your mind to be intentional about the things that you want to do. And I think that's kind of the difference between being a child and an adult is when you're a child, you have a little bit more freedom to not be as intentional, right? Because there's a lot of safeguards set up for you. And there's more than likely people around you setting purpose and intentions for the way that you live life. But when you're an adult, there's no one telling you how to do this, right? You got to figure out how you want to do it. And then maybe you align yourself with people who are doing this similarly. And so therefore your actions look similar to their, you know, their actions, or you, you see someone who isn't doing something like that you want to do. And you say, I'm not going to do that. Adulting starts in your mind first, and then everything else will play out. And I think that, I don't know if this is going to be your wrap up question. I don't want to be get ahead of anything, but I think if I really, really, really had to go back and speak to 16 year old jazz and 17 year old jazz, I would really say like, make sure you're always silent in your mind and you're going to for sure see everything that you want to manifest happen. Because once you set them intentions, once you 
um, heal relationships you have about money, about um, family, about parenting, about home ownership, all then, then you'll know where you're going. And I think that is kind of the difference between adult Jasmine and, and, um, uh, child Jasmine. I couldn't even remember what her name was. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to wrap this up, but I want to add, cause Jasmine, you did a, a great segue. Are there any other, I guess, special like words or, um, advice that you all want to end this with? Um, please yeah. say something else. Yeah, everybody, yes, yes. Um, so just a point of reference. If you recall over the past couple of weeks, the news about GameStop and how um, hedge funds were short squeezing the stock because they felt like GameStop was about to go out of business and so it was a bad bet. And so the hedge funds bet against it, but then the people, like just the user me's who were new to trading, just bet for GameStop because the stock was so cheap and then it ballooned. So it went from like $2 to I think $500 a share, which is unheard of, especially within a two week span, right? And how a lot of people lost big because eventually the market settled. And so in terms of just understanding finances and investing, understand the word volatility. You gotta learn that word, <laughs> just learn that word before you start investing because the mark, uh, what goes up must come down. The, the idea of gravity. So please, 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 when you get into investing, learn that word volatility, it will save you a ton of money. And then just on the global perspective, there's a difference between finance and economics. Finance being the man, the money, the management of money, economics being the um, knowing what how wealth transfers. Those are two different things. So you got to learn those things too if you're going to effectively participate in a capitalist in this capitalist society that is America, because we don't have a choice. So if you learn the difference between finance and economics, investing volatility, you'll be light years ahead of people who just download Robinhood and start buying shit for the sake of buying shit. Anthony J, any last words? Sorry, the internet was acting up. Um, last words. Yo, do what is fit and on your track and, and stay in your lane. You know what I mean? Like there's um, points in my life that I was trying to make something fit or trying to make something make sense that didn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like as we're on here and there's the four of us, like some of y'all were on a track to buy a house. You know what I mean? I've it doesn't make sense for me to make some of the moves and some of the pivots of buying a house. If like back to Jasmine's questions, why do you really actually want to own a house? And so I think that part of adulting is we've been told it looks this way and you should be doing these things by a certain age and should be thinking and considering it. It's like, follow your path. And based on your path, I mean, that may require you, you know, make sure your finances is good and that your credit is good, but making sure that you're doing that for, for the path forward that you're trying to take and not looking in other people's lanes. That's my advice. Um, yeah, and there's no one is there's not a one dimension way of being an adult or being a successful adult or being a productive adult. It's it's whatever fits in your lane. I like that. For my last word, I wanted to say, um, I wanted to speak on like safety and security. Um, a lot of the subjects that we talked about, we kind of get into a space where we're, we're now in a space where we're safe and we're more safe and secure with discussing these things um but like everyone else is saying like there is no one way to go about this thing to go about adulting to go about living your life 
to the most fulfilling way that you can. Um, if you, if you want to do something, make sure you have the ability to do it. Meaning, um, you're thinking about all aspects of it. Like the, the trick to adulting is thinking about what that future looks like with that decision you made, thinking about the consequences. And so, um, bringing it back around to like safety and security, I think that you should always understand what safety and security looks like to yourself. That's what we've all kind of been descri describing when it comes to owning a home or not owning a home, when it comes to being a parent, being prepared for parenthood or not wanting to be a parent, when it comes to being you know, leading people, um, deciding what jobs to take and what leadership looks like in your, in the company that you're aspiring to, um, work at, um, when it comes to your finances, like it's all going to look completely different. So you can, like, if you want to be motivated extrinsically from other people, like there's a healthy way to do it, but also look inward, look towards yourself and your internal compass to establish those different things because ultimately you're the person who makes those final decisions and signs the signs the contracts you're the one who's going to be taken down if something goes awry you know you're the one who's going to be praised if it goes right so that's all i have to say classmates classmates get out your pins and papers get ready to take down your homework um now, this is the homework section. Does anyone have a homework that they'd like to share before I share mine? So over during the pandemic, we spent a lot of time at home. Um, teaching, you get two months off during the summer, right? So that was my first real vacation in like 16 years. But anyway, got to read a ton of books. One of my favorite was um, David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. Uh, it's, it's for adults. And so he cusses a lot in that book because he's very raw, former Navy SEAL. Um, and, he, and the book is surrounded by how he got through all of his different trials, mostly the ultra marathons that he runs. And if you don't know what an ultra marathon is, it's a hundred mile run or more. Um, and those are like two and three day exercises, but neither here nor there, but it was a good book. Um, you can learn a lot just from his, the way he motivated himself through all his various trials and tribulations. And for those who um, suffer from depression and other mental health issues, there's a lot of very, very stressful, very, very triggering events in that book. So just be careful with the read. I'll go. Um, so I recently uh, watched um, Judas and the Black Messiah. So since it's still Black History Month, make sure you go watch it. But on top of that, watch, um, oh man, the, um, the guy, the infiltrate, um, his name is passing my mind, but he's on Eyes on the Prize. So I would go watch that interview as well. I think it's very important to kind of, if you are not familiar with the Black Panther history, to make yourself familiar with it. I think that a lot of times when we allow for other people to tell our stories, it gets told in a very warped view. So I do, um, I've already known history with it. And, um, but I, I do encourage others to make sure that they go view it and just read up on um, what those um, brothers and women of the Black Panther Party were doing. Um, so, you know, Black History 365, but let's make sure we celebrate, you know, this month as well. Yeah, I was going to say this episode won't air during Black History Month, but Black History 365 is where we at with it. Um, I wanted to do two recommendations. I have this 
um, channel on YouTube called The Minority Mindset. Um, I think I've plugged it before, actually, but I've watched these videos um, about this guy. His name is Jaspreet Singh, and he has a company called The Minority Mindset. He discusses finances, um, different ways to improve your finances. He discusses real estate investing, the, some of the mistakes that he's made. He is around our age bracket. So um, he's really, really smart. Um, he talks about a lot of different things that if you need any particular help in, in terms of like understanding finances, understanding investments in the way um, different financial news and things like that too, like it's a really good um, channel to subscribe to on YouTube. Also, there is a book that I have been reading and I'm in the process of rereading it. I think it's like extremely amazing. It is um, by T. Pro excuse me. It's by Deepak. Damn, why was why is it so hard to say his name? It's by is by Deepak Chopra, and it's called the Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Um, that has been something that I am working on. Um, and it's it's really been amazing to me to see um, my growth and spirituality and things like that. But these seven laws, like that. They are around spirituality, but I think that they can definitely re relate to a lot of the things that we were talking about because your spirit moves, your life moves. So whatever you decide on, like you can base it on having a more calm and peaceful spirit and not being super triggered by things that are happening around you to make like irresponsible or immature decisions. So those are my two things. What about you, Anthony J? Uh, mine is, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I feel like I tell everybody, but about my jar. And so um, I have a jar, I have a work jar and I have like a personal jar where I take sticky notes. And then as things happen throughout the year, I put them in the jar. And so one, it allows me to do like reflection time and be like, oh, you did this thing. Whether Sometimes it's good things, bad things, challenging things. It allows me to have time to like reflect on that and put it in the, in the jar. And then I'm very big on like the new year. And so it's like one of my rituals is like, oh, let me look at all the big and small things that I did in, for example, last year, 2020. And so I'm pulling out and I get to look at all the sticky notes on, on what I learned and stuff. And so I've done this now for like the past two years. And so now I have multiple jars from the years. And so it's going to be fun, you know, like 10 years down the line as we're talking about like younger self being 41 year old Anthony looking at like, oh, this is where 31 Anthony was at and was trying to learn and trying to figure out. Um, so I would suggest something like that, that I, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for how far that we've come and in our journey in adulthood. Um, we can a lot of times be fixated on what we didn't do right or what we could have done better. But um, the small steps are often really, really big ones. So that would be my, my homework for people or find something similar to that. And on that note, it's social media time. Guess, want to plug your social media? So I'm just on Instagram at jaybird, J-A-Y-B-Y-Y-R-D. I just post inspirational quotes and, and other things. So if you want to come on over and follow me, that's cool. I'd love to see you. And I'll I follow back unless you're paid on some crazy stuff. And I try to, I try to curate my timeline for my spirit so but yeah at jaybird i am still um at the yeti tte underscore tte with two t's that y-e-t-t-i underscore tte 
the Yeti underscore TTE, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm not on Facebook as much, so don't look for me there. But those two platforms, Twitter, I have fun, Instagram, I just post a lot of stories and react to stuff. You ain't gonna get too much from me until I start um, recording DJing sessions, and then that's where you'll definitely find me promoting myself. So get ready for some mixes um, and some other content on my Instagram and Twitter. That's all I got. I look forward to them DJ sessions. Okay, so I'm gonna plug our no class stuff. That's for those of you that aren't already following us, which hopefully is not too many. I hope y'all are on all the handles with us. But anyway, um, on our social media for SoundCloud, Apple, YouTube, Music, Facebook, we and IG, we are No Class Podcast. If you are in Twitter, we are No Underscore Class Podcast, Tumblr, No Dash Class Podcast. You can email us at noclasspodcast at gmail.com. Um, send us any ideas that you have for topics. Maybe if you want some advice, you can send us a letter. If you want to be a guest on the show, all that would go to the Gmail. We ask you to rate us on the iTunes, rate us on the platform that you're listening to. Give us some comments, give us some good feedback. And here is the time where it's the call to action. You're like, what can I do, No Class? I love you all so much. And I want to make sure that y'all are here for days and days to come. Well, you can make a donation to us. You can donate to podcast on through our anchor page. We appreciate, we appreciate, we appreciate. Um, anything else that you want to add, Chantel? No. <laughs> not one of those one, two, three words. Okay, okay. So no, not this time. <laughs> well, y'all stay hydrated, melanated, and glowed up, and we will see y'all next episode.